think God wanted you to be here. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever um, just had someone make a big impression on you. If you married, you, you probably had that. I don't know what your experience was like the first time that you met your spouse. I remember the first time I met my spouse. We, I like telling this story. I like telling people that Sarah and I met at a nightclub because any really religious people just get uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. But we, we, we didn't go because we were going to a nightclub. We, went, we met at a friend's birthday and uh, Sarah was there and I was there. And I remember walking up and introducing myself and actually thinking that I was doing a great job. And it was only till later she said, nah, we just thought you were arrogant. We just thought you were kind of, you know, full of yourself and, and, and all the rest of it. I thought I was doing a good job. But whatever happened, I made an impression because she said, I would like to go on a date with you tomorrow night. And we did. So that's how that happened. But, you know, whether it's good or bad, people will make an impression on you. You probably started a job somewhere at some point and uh, you met with somebody that interviewed you. You would have made an impression there. The impression that you made actually resulted in you probably getting that job. If you didn't get it, well, you may have made the wrong impression or someone else made a better impression. But whatever happened, good or bad, you remember people when they make an impression on you, don't you? You remember people when they make an impression on you. I want to talk to you this morning about two guys that made an impression on Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning about being marveled. There are lots of passages in the Bible where people are marveled. There are lots of passages where people have had an impression made on them and they're astonished and they're shocked and they're awed and all the rest of it. But actually, it may come as a surprise to you that in Scripture, there are only two times, say two times, there are only two times that people ever left Jesus with the kind of impression where he was marveled by them. Only two times that Jesus was ever left with the impression where he was marveled by people. And it has everything to do with faith. I'm going to read two scriptures to you today. The first scripture comes out of Mark chapter 6, and this is verses 1 to 6. And it says this, He went away from there and came to his hometown, which is Nazareth, And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. People get astonished all the time by Jesus. And they said, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? If I was going to add my own emphasis to Scripture, I would emphasize the word his. In other words, what they were really saying is, how were mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. This is the first time Jesus marveled. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. People began astonished and they ended offended. How's that happen? 
How do people begin being astonished by God and they end being offended? Truth is, we probably know people like that, you and me. They began somewhere with a relationship with God and somewhere along the way, something happened and they ended up being offended. Offended by God, offended by church. It's amazing how that sort of creeps into our relationship with God sometimes, but they began being astonished and they ended up saying, hey, this is Mary's son. This is Mary's son. You know, this is, we know this guy. Hey, we know where he comes from. This guy's got a history and we know about it. They're from Nazareth. Jesus is from Nazareth. They're like, you know what? I know that you're seeing this guy here today and he's doing all his teaching. He thinks he's eaten a bit. But here's the truth about this guy. I could take you to his hometown. Well, I remember the time when Jesus did this and I remember the time when Jesus did that. See, we know who this guy is. We've got a history with him. We know his family. We know his history. You know, it doesn't mention, in fact, that uh, Jesus had a father named Joseph. They don't mention that. The reason is, is by this stage, most scholars think that Joseph was probably dead. So they refer to him as Mary's son. And they start bringing up his history. They start bringing up his relatives. Isn't it funny how that happens sometimes? People start to move forwards in their relationship with God. And someone reminds them of their history. Someone brings up their past. Are you trying to make headway? Are you trying to move forwards? But I remember when you did this. I remember your life before you were a Christian. Don't forget, I know all this stuff about you. You think that you're moving forwards. Well, I know where you've been. You know, when people come to you, when they say to you, I know where you've been, maybe that's true. But you can just comfortably look back at them and say, yeah, but you have no idea where I'm going. You only know where I've been. You, know, you may have known what I've done, but you don't know what I'm about to do. You don't know the work that God has done in me. Don't ever let people bring up your history and begin to lower your faith and lower your expectation about what God can do in your life because of your history. Jesus died for that, so you don't have to keep paying the penalty for that. So whatever your history is, can you make a decision, at least this morning, in this place, here in your heart, to let your history be history and to actually start to move forwards in Christ. Don't let people drag you back. You are a new creation in Christ. You are not that person anymore. The old has, the old has, the new has, amen. So live in that. It's the way that we're supposed to live. It's amazing how history impacts people's expectation. And it sets limitation. Someone's history, I know where they've gone, so they probably won't be able to, nah, not when it comes to God and not when it comes to Jesus. God takes great delight in taking people with the worst history and making them incredible, outrageous, powerful people that move in the Spirit. He loves it because all the people that try to remind Him of their history stand gobsmacked as they watch as God does something outrageous with a person's life. I'm telling you, we serve an amazing God. What does He say? He says He heals a few sick people. And, he, and, and literally this town, they talk themselves straight out of miracles. Here is Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. And they talk themselves out of miracles because they thought they knew who he was. Now it says here in the uh, scriptures here that he was not able. There were so many times 
when Jesus would walk into a situation, and no one had faith for it, but he would walk into the situation and he'd heal the sick and he'd raise the dead. And the most impossible things would become possible in that moment when Jesus showed up. What is it about this passage right here that would inhibit his ability to heal? Can I suggest to you this morning that it had nothing to do with his authority? Authority works every time. It had nothing to do with his authority. It's because people just won't let them. People wouldn't let him. The thing about God is he doesn't force his way into your life and do a miracle against your own will. Actually, what you need to do is let God into your life. I hope you haven't begun astonished and ended up somewhere offended along the way because of some previous experience or some kind of history and you're limiting God from moving and speaking into your life right now. You got to give God permission. That's what didn't happen here, but that's what should have happened. And it says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief and he just moved on. He went to the other towns. Don't let Jesus move on from you. Don't, don't be so offended or have so many issues with stuff that maybe people have done to you in your life that you actually inhibit God from doing work in your world. I want to talk to you about the second scripture. It comes out of Luke chapter 7 in verse 1. Jesus heals a centurion's servant. It says, after he finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant girl who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us, our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let me give you a overview of what it would mean to be a slave in this culture and context. If you were a slave, you weren't worth much of anything. In fact, Aristotle said that actually you were, if a slave in this era, you are a living tool with a soul. That's how people looked at it. The Roman Empire was built on slaves. I read somewhere that over the course of the Roman Empire, they had 60 million slaves actually build the, the Roman Empire, they weren't worth much of anything. Here is a centurion who probably has, by the way, if you look at who this man really was, probably had a whole heap of slaves. Why would he go to the effort and the energy 
to actually save one, sending the elders. And then before the elders could even return, send his own team of people to bring a message on his behalf. You know what I think about this guy? I think he was a kind man. I think he was a kind man with a heart of compassion. And the elders come and they plead. And what did they say? They said, he is worthy to be healed by you. Religious people always try to leverage good works. He's worthy to be healed by you. Look at what he's done. Can I tell you this morning that that is not how the system works. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. You're saved because God loves you. You don't leverage miracles by your works. It's all on him. It's all on Jesus. It's because he loves you. It's because he cares about you. You can't come along at some point and say, God, the moment you say, God, I deserve this because of my behavior, you have missed what the gospel is about. You do not leverage miracles through your behavior and good works. And can I suggest to you this morning that actually if that's the way that you plan on making it happen, or that's how you think about it in your head, I'll be entitled to good things from God because of my behavior, well, here's the truth about that. You probably won't get much of anything. So it doesn't work. The system doesn't work. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. All of the things, the miracle realm that you want to enter into, the things that you pray for that you hope will happen, they happen actually because God loves you. You can't leverage your works. And, and, and the centurion, he comes and he says, I'm not worthy. <laughs> Here are the elders who should know God best. And they say, oh, he's worthy to have you do this miracle. And yet when it comes to him, he says, I'm not worthy. You know what the Bible says? That God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Here comes a man in humility. He says, I'm not even worthy to have you under my roof. The centurion doesn't even know Jesus. He doesn't know him. He hasn't met him, but he's heard about him. And he said, if there is a person that exists with this kind of authority that I'm hearing about, a person like that, I am not worthy to have under my roof. And so he comes in humility and he sends a message and he says, you know what? Say the word and my servant will be healed. And this is part of my favorite part of this passage. He says, because I too am a person under authority. In other words, he sees and recognizes without even meeting Jesus, that Jesus is a person that operates within the sphere of authority. He understands that Jesus operates in a way, in fact, no one else was operating in at the time. He is under the authority of the Father and executing the Father's will. I only did what I saw my Father doing. And so he sees that and he says, if you say the word, my servant will be healed. And instantly the servant is healed and he marvels at his belief. The slave, we know the end of the story, he's healed. To marvel means to wonder at someone. It means to be completely astonished. Two stories, same possibilities, completely different outcomes. Same possibility. Jesus was in both locations. He has authority in both locations. He can do anything He wants in both locations. Two possibilities, two different villages that could see something outrageous and yet different outcomes. Access to the impossible will hinge on your expectation of what God does. The thing about Jesus is He spent so much time with His Father, understanding who His Father was, that He was never surprised or caught off guard by Him. 
Do you notice that Jesus has never ever marveled by his father, but that he's actually marveled by people? He's not marveled by his father because he understands his father. He has an expectation about his father. He knows what his father is able to do. So he's never marveled by him, but he's completely marveled by people, their lack of belief. Limited expectations will cause people to miss possibilities. If you don't expect God to move, you won't see the possibility of what he could do. You just won't say anything. You won't see it. You won't see the opportunity. You won't understand it. Why? Because there's a limitation on what God is able to do in your life. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to change your mind. You have to change the way that you think. Expectation comes from your belief. Your belief, whatever that is, will set the expectation for you. So you've got to start to change your mind about what God is able to do in your life. You have to begin to change your mind. I don't know how many of you have been in a rut, in a hard place. You maybe just struggled to get out. And maybe you've been there so long, you think that's the place you're supposed to stay. I'm telling you this morning, you have to change your mind and start to think differently and start to think like this. You have to read the Word of God and allow that to inform what your expectations should be, what your beliefs should be, so that you don't limit what God is actually able to do in your life. The Bible is full of stories where people were trying to understand Jesus and they just couldn't get Him. They had expectations, they had limitations, and because of that, there are people who were expecting Him, waiting for Him. And when He came, they completely missed Him. If you think about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They're waiting for Him. They're expecting Him to come. And when He comes, because of the limitations and the self-imposed expectations they had of Jesus, here comes the Saviour of the world. Here comes the Anointed One, the one that the Bible had pointed to, the one that the prophecies had been written about. Here He finally comes and they say, this can't be Him. Why? Wrong expectations. Wrong limitations. Even John the Baptist, who's completely different to the Pharisees, how did he begin? He said, here, behold, here comes the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. This man, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He begins there. But do you notice that later on when you begin to read, John actually sends his disciples when he's being held in prison, he sends his disciples back to Jesus. And then they come to Jesus and they say, are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we expect someone else? Why would John send disciples? Isn't this the same man when he said, Behold, here's the Lamb of God. Here he is. This is the guy. What changed for him? Well, I'll tell you what changed. He sat in the prison cell for too long. He sat there day after day. What was his expectation? When the anointed one comes, everything will be different. When the anointed one comes, he'll bring his kingdom. I won't be in prison for much longer because I know the anointed one is here. So suddenly, I'm going to expect that there's going to be an overthrowing of this government. And when there is, everything will shift and everything will change. And I'll be released from prison. And day after day, not being able to get out of his situation, he's thinking, the anointed one is taking his time. The anointed one should be showing up right about now. You know, the anointed one should have showed up yesterday. This is past due. 
I should be free by now. I'm not free. Disciples, come to me. I want you to go back to that guy that we thought was the Savior of the world. I want you to go back to him and you just check with him again. Ask him again and see if this is really the guy that we've been waiting for. Disciples come to Jesus. They speak to him. And when they speak to him, what do they say? They say, are you the one? He goes, what do you see? And he sends them back to John. John being stuck in his situation and not seeing anything prevail in his life caused him to think that the Savior wasn't really Jesus. How many people do you know like that? Imprisoned, caught in their situation, waiting for Jesus to come. Oh, they've heard about what Jesus can do and you've read the stories and yet he's not doing it in your life. Maybe in the life of a friend of yours. So you sit day after day, in your same prison, waiting until eventually what you believe begins to shift. It begins to change. Maybe Jesus isn't everything he said he was. Maybe he can't do everything he said he can do. The Nazarenes, what did they do? They had uh, expectations. They set limitations on Jesus as well due to his heritage because of his history. They said, you know, God wouldn't do this. He wouldn't do it that way. It's amazing to me how people can just miss God. And they're waiting for him and they can just miss him because of expectations. I remember one time I spoke to somebody just on the street, Eastland Shopping Centre, and I saw a, a man limping and I asked if I could pray for him. And I, I spoke to him. I said, I see you have a limp. Do you mind if I can pray for you? And this is his response to me. He says, oh, I don't think that God could heal this. I said, why is that? He said, well, they put pins in my hips and I don't possibly see how God could actually remove them. It's Jesus. He created you. Every part of you. He makes something from nothing. You think that the pins in your leg are going to inhibit his power, his might, his ability to fix and heal you? I could not believe what I was hearing. Isn't it amazing how God can be right there? Oh God, I wonder if that man ever said a prayer. God, would you heal me? Here comes the answer and he misses it because of wrong expectations, because of a false set of beliefs. The centurion, the centurion is different to all of these people. He's different to the Pharisees. He's different to John the Baptist. He's different to the Nazarenes. He's actually not even ingrained in, sen in the sense of Jewish culture. He hasn't grown up with all the outrageous stories and heard everything. And yet that man, he's the one that says, this guy is so powerful. I'm not even worthy to have him under my house and under my roof. But if he says the word, then my servant will be healed. And what happened? He was healed. He was healed. He didn't put a limitation on Jesus. He didn't put ex wrong expectations on Jesus. Why is it so hard for some people to believe? I know why. Wrong set of beliefs. Wrong foundations. If you believe wrongly, you'll never expect rightly. If, you've got, if you don't see things the way that they really are, in other words, you haven't had it revealed to you, how can you ever have the right expectation? Your faith is built on a foundation that's false. And you just won't expect the same things. You know, the interesting thing about this, about, you know, expecting the wrong things, this is so typical of our culture. Just like I said before, people think that they can leverage God to do things in their life because they've been so good for a week. Well, how does that work if you've been bad for a week? Expect good, get good. Expect bad, get bad. 
Here's the way it works. You're bad, he's good. You mess up, he loves. You screw up, he's all over it. I've covered it. You're forgiven. You're free. This is the way that the gospel actually works. That works mindset, it's false. It's phony. It doesn't work. And so many people are just duped into thinking it. Even Christians that have been around for a long time believe at points in their life that they're not entitled to the things that God would be willing to give them. Why? Because they messed up this week. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's the way that this works. Can I just show you something really interesting? You know, the very next passage, Jesus raises a widow's son. Let's look at this for one moment. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, she was a widow. So her financial future is in trouble because this is the only guy that's going to be looking after her. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole world, through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. In the previous chapter, I think Luke put this there for a reason. In the previous chapter, the elders come to Jesus and they say, This man has done great things for our country. You should heal him. So, what did this guy do apart from be dead? Well, perhaps you can help me out this morning. What prayer did his mother pray? Well, what did she ask Jesus to do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because Jesus isn't moved by works in that sense. He doesn't release things over your life because you've impressed him with your works. This guy did nothing but die. Jesus just happened to be there and he saw him. And he comes up and he touches him and he heals him. Why? He was moved by compassion, not by works. Jesus isn't moved by your great behavior. And if you can understand what I'm saying to you today, your spiritual life should shift significantly because suddenly what you think you're entitled to completely changes. The landscape of your spiritual life should completely shift and change. The Jewish people, why is it hard for some of them to believe? Because they had a cultural history of a powerful God. They seen it. They read the stories culturally. They knew that they had a powerful God. But they live and exist in a day where they didn't see it. That's what it was to be a Pharisee. They didn't expect God to move. This is actually, I heard Bill Johnson say this once, religion, like a Pharisee, it's form without power. How many people do you know that begin and say, this is great. Christianity is great. God shows up and He does amazing things in their life. And then after a while, maybe their limitations, with every failed attempt, their limitations get put on. The restraints get put on. And they saw God here when they began. And bit by bit, lower and lower and lower became the expectations until people come to a point where they no longer expect Him to move. How do people get offended? They don't think God cares anymore. 
because they put limitations on their faith. Jesus came and He wanted to shift all of that. If you've got a personal history of failed attempts, don't become like a Pharisee. You have a personal history where you've asked God to do things. It hasn't happened. You form your belief based off that experience. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. No, wrong. The only thing God does is love you. The thing that God is moved by is compassion. He's not disappointed in you. He expected you to fail. That's why He sent Jesus. If you didn't need Jesus, you reckon He would have sacrificed His Son? No loving father would do that. And yet he did it. It was the only option for him to bring you in. Man, the stuff that I'm talking about today, even the disciples struggled with this. If you're struggling with what I'm saying today, that's okay. The disciples struggled with it too. We looked at this scripture a little while ago, but I'm going to read it for a different purpose now. Jesus heals a boy who has a demon, sets him free. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, why could, why could we not cast it out? You ever had that experience? Like you prayed, it just didn't happen. Why couldn't we do it? But I thought, I said the thing. It didn't work. I don't understand. Why could we not cast it out? And He says to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Why could they not cast the demon out? He says it's because of their faith. It was because of their belief. It was because maybe they didn't expect it to happen. Jesus comes, He doesn't have a secret authority and power that He hasn't told us about. In fact, the point of Jesus coming was to reveal everything. It's not secret and hidden. It's there for you to see. He says, the reason is you're not expecting anything to happen. Jesus says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So let me explain to you what a mountain was, Old Testament. A mountain was a Jewish metaphor for an impossible task. That was what they would say culturally, linguistically. They would say, when it comes to mountains, that was a metaphor for the impossible. You just can't do it. You can't move it. Jesus in this scripture right here that we read, He's tapping into that Jewish metaphor. He's tapping into them, talking about impossibilities. This is where Israel came from. God says to His people, every valley should be lifted up and every mountain and every hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places plain. You know what he's saying there? God will fix your situation so that the valley that you're in comes up, the mountain you're facing comes down, and the problem becomes a road for you to walk above and not beneath. Isn't that awesome? This is what God does. This is what God does. He says, and I will make my mountains a road. Imagine if your problem became the path for you to just walk over. Wouldn't that be great? The impossible. I'm not sure if all of you are getting it. I mean the impossible. Forget the possible. I'm talking about what's impossible. Impossible becomes something you walk over. Yeah? Okay, let's keep looking. That's what he says. He says, For the mountains 
may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Your problems will be gone. I'm going to remove your problems. I'm going to remove your mountains. I'm going to move the impossibilities, but my love will never be removed from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Isn't this great? What God does for us, your problems become a road for you to walk on. Well, I want to tell you something today that you may have never realized before, but Jesus came to change this. You thought that was good, didn't you? You thought that was impressive, didn't you? Yeah, a lot of you were nodding going, yeah, that's great. God's going to remove my problem. Oh, so you mean my problem becomes something that I get to walk on? That becomes my road? Wow, that is awesome. Well, Jesus came to change it. Can I show you how? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, because He just cursed it and it withered and died, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. I'm not sure if you're cluing in to what Jesus did. He was tapping into a metaphor. He said, you know what? You're so used to God coming and solving your problems. But after I come, you don't have to necessarily go to God. I'm going to clothe you in authority and clothe you in power. And instead of you saying to God, I wish you would just remove my mountain. He says, no. He says, if you say to the mountain, if you say to the mountain, if you speak to impossible things, if you speak to the problems that are so outrageous, if you do it, God has given you authority so that you could speak. Jesus changed everything. They lived in a world where they said, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if God could show up and fix our problems? And Jesus said, do you know what? If you look at your problem and it's too much for you, then you speak to it. There was a transference of authority and positional power. And Jesus said, now my people will be clothed in authority. My people will be clothed with power. And when they are, they will speak to the impossible. Do you see what you're entitled to? Don't let the false expectations and previous failures and your history and all the other stuff ruin what God is willing to give to you today. Because He says, if you speak to the impossible things, they'll shift and they'll move. And the same power that cursed the fig tree, the same power that cast out demons, the same power that healed the sick, the same power that raised the dead, the same power that resurrected Jesus, that came upon Him and brought Him from a place of death to life. If you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, He's saying it now lives in you. And He's giving it to you. Your belief can cause you to miss or access the impossible. But what I want to tell you today is that Jesus is not changing. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change His mind when you pray. He doesn't answer your friend's prayers and not yours. He doesn't answer prayers in Africa, but not ours. That's not the way that this works. Jesus hasn't changed His mind. But you know who needs to? Some of us. 
Some of us who are here today, we're the ones that need to change our mind. We're the ones that need to begin to increase our expectations of what God is able to do in our lives. And when we begin to shift our thinking from where we've been to where God is going, all bets are off. The impossible becomes not just possible, it becomes probable. Did you begin with faith and become offended somewhere along the way? Maybe some of you are here for baptisms and the reason you're here is because someone invited you and it's your first time in church in a long time. But God knew at this moment that you would be here today and He wanted to speak to you and He wanted to say something to you. If you're here this morning and because of something way back when in your history and your past, you were offended, don't become like the Pharisees. Don't let your failure begin to rule over you. Don't let anyone bring up your history and don't try to leverage what we're talking about with your good behavior. Everything you get, you get because He gives you. He's moved by compassion, not by your works. Don't become like the Pharisees. Form without power. Church is great, but we don't expect God to actually do anything. We pray for the sick, but it never really happens. Don't let that creep into your thinking. If you did, Jesus would marvel at you. He would marvel at you. You would make an impression on Him. I'm telling you today that the thing that limits God's people the most is our expectations of Him and our expectations of ourselves, the limitations that we put on ourselves. I'm telling you, if you want to speak to the impossible today, I believe God's willing to meet with you right here, right now, in this moment. Can we stand together this morning?